guys welcome back to episode three of my myasthenia uh, today's episode is going to be super exciting we are finally getting into our very first interview on the podcast today i have sean who i actually found over on the reddit page called myasthenia gravis and he reached out to me and said that he had kind of a unique story and wanted to share it with all of you and of course I agreed. He really did have a pretty unique story. So we will get into that interview in just a second. But I do want to remind everybody that June is still MG Awareness Month. So I wanted to maybe kind of challenge you this week to to do something. Maybe that will help to spread awareness. I think it would be really cool if we could get everybody to share with at least one person per day or just one. If you could share anything you want about the disease, you can share a Facebook group, you could share something on the MG Foundation website, you could even share an episode of this podcast. But just talk to somebody about the disease and try to spread awareness because you know you all know that every time you tell somebody what you have, they look at you and they say, I've never heard of that. Well, let's see if we can change that. That's what this month is for. So let's see if you can talk to one person a day. Let's make that our challenge. And next Tuesday on the next episode, we'll check in and see how you did. I did also want to mention that I set up an email account for the podcast for anybody who might want to reach out with some questions or obviously if you'd be interested in an interview and I haven't already talked to you, you can feel free to send me over an email. So that is mymyastheniapod at gmail.com and I will put that in the description down below. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Sean and let's listen to his amazing story with finding out that he had myasthenia gravis. All right, Sean, so thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited to get going on this interview because I think your story is a really important one for the audience to hear. You know, yours was quite a bit different than mine, which I shared back in episode one. So yours was different because of basically how you went about getting diagnosed. So, you know, I'm excited for you to get the opportunity to share it, but also because I think many people might relate to this because MG is such a hard a disease to diagnose. So, you know, obviously because you struggled to get that diagnosis, do you want to go ahead and share how this all started for you? Maybe what your first symptoms were and, and we can just go from there. Absolutely. And first of all, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. Uh, I had zero symptoms, uh, but I, but I got off a plane with my wife during a trip to Paris, the city of lights, got off the plane, felt a little strange, thought it was, you know, jet lag or whatever. Uh, then we got to dinner and I'm looking around and there's a band playing and there's wine everywhere. And I'm seeing two bottles of wine, two of my wife, two of everything. Uh, so the double vision just kicked in out of nowhere, uh, triggered possibly by the flight and 
I struggled through that <clears throat> the whole seven days of our trip. I had double vision and that was the, the onset uh, that lasted seven days, but then that went away and resolved on its own. Uh, and then I thought that was it. I thought it was something macular or something from the plane trip. And, and that's how it started until my slurring and dysphagia started a year later. Yeah, so you mentioned when you first noticed the double vision, you went to an optometrist back in Paris and she wasn't actually able to diagnose you with anything. You know, did she have any ideas that something else could be going on or did she think she knew what it could have been back at that point? Okay, well, I went to an ophthalmologist actually. Oh, you did see an ophthalmologist. Yeah, so those are the ones that can really take a deep look. Serendipitously, I had hired a photographer to surprise my wife. He came up to us at a cafe and my wife was super surprised. And I'm like, oh, hey, Bruno. And Bruno lives here in Paris. He's going to take us around and we're going to take some shots. And my wife was just thrilled. So we're walking through alleys and doing all this cool stuff. And I pulled Bruno, the cameraman, to the side. I said, hey, listen, if I hold on to you a little bit or something, it's because I have double vision and I don't want to scare my wife. And he said, double vision well let me tell you something my wife is the head of the national institute for ophthalmology in Paris. he walked me straight into her office from where we were it wasn't very far uh just wild how doors will open and uh she gave me a full full uh diagnostic that she couldn't <clears throat> and said you know there's no diabetic retinopathy because i'm the type one diabetic and she said, you know, it's probably the plane, long flight, jet lag, and you probably have something macular going on. Uh, if it doesn't resolve, then then follow up. But if it does resolve, I think you're going to be fine. Uh, wow. Again, MG is not something people are looking for. I mean, that's such a crazy coincidence, though. Um, but at that point, you still didn't have any other symptoms like the ptosis or anything like that so there there really wasn't much of a way that she could have diagnosed you for mg at that point but the funny thing is we call we we have a thing called the alcock eye that's my last name alcock and my dad had it and my mom uh, my dad's mom had it and whenever we'd have a bunch of beers one of our eyes would kind of close have ptosis well my myasthenia might have been the culprit for my yeah, family yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. It's not typically, MG isn't typically one that they consider to be genetic, but obviously it can be. It's an autoimmune disease and it can be passed down. So it's interesting that it's possible your family may also have it and they just didn't know it. Yeah, and maybe through the lifestyle, we're bar, we're bar and restaurant owners. Uh, so we've all lived alcohol, heavy, saturated fat, meat. <laughs> Our diet yeah. been identical for a hundred years, so well, I, I think environment plays a big role here. Really interesting that genetics could have played a, a really big role in your family. So it's interesting to think about. Okay, so I kind of want to skip ahead just a little bit. You said your double vision actually went away, and then for almost a whole year, you didn't notice any symptoms until you started slurring your words. Do you want to kind of talk about how that started and then the events that happened after that happened? Yeah. Well, the timing was, I started about a year later. I, I remember talking to my mom in the alley. Uh, she, uh, the, we were dropping off the kid or picking up the kid, something. And my tongue felt swollen 
that's the only way to describe it because it wouldn't move correctly and i started slurring oh it, it just it, and it it would be fine when i wake up and then as the day get it progressed it would get worse so that was the the really predominant thing and i kept going to doctors of all different types and they just kept saying i'm too high strung or I'm this or that and then when i went out skiing with my mom i had my son on my skis got up out of the water and then my son started yelling at me to get off the skis he wanted to do it himself <laughs> not needing to be using too many muscles and being too out of breath he was fighting me so i was you know trying to grab him and all of a sudden i'm using all of my muscles and i'm very my heart rate went way up and then all of a sudden like I couldn't take in a breath. It, it's not like I could cough it out. Or, or, it was the scariest thing because it was just the, like a switch that you could not inhale. Right. And that's when I went to the emergency room and got no help there either. They said I'm too high strung and, and I should, uh, you know, check with my endocrinologist and, and keep my stress levels down. So, so the doctors were perpetuating this cycle of, of, uh, just not knowing and it's scary right. very scary right no i mean so i definitely want to talk about you getting your diagnosis uh, but i do want to go back to talk about the issues you had with your diaphragm because that was a really important moment um so before the breathing issues obviously you mentioned the slurring and the swollen tongue that you kind of felt so for those of you listening those symptoms he was experiencing are what doctors will refer to as the Bulber MG symptoms, where kind of your mouth and neck and swallowing and those types of things are affected. And those symptoms are typically the precursors for crisis, a myasthenic crisis. So it sounds like, you know, your body was giving you a warning before all of this happened. And obviously, had you known it was MG, it would have been probably pretty obvious that you needed to go seek help at that time but you know because you you kind of pushed yourself and in, in which that's pretty typical for those of us with mg when we have a good day we we push ourselves you know you obviously went into a full-blown crisis out in the middle of the water but you know the interesting thing to me is that you were actually able to recover yourself in that situation and actually buy yourself enough time to get to the emergency room do you want to talk about what that felt like for you and, and what you had to do to keep yourself safe and recover yourself from that situation? Yeah, well, I attribute uh, most of it to uh, any, even the small amount of yoga, yoga and meditation that I've done over the years. And being a professional snowboarder years ago, you'd be in some really sketchy situations and you'd have to have a calm mind. Fight or flight kind of kicked in, and I said, "I have to. I can't breathe, but I can't black out." Right. So I just I I emptied my mind as much as I could. My son was swimming away; he was fine. And I slowly, over the course of thirty seconds, was able to stop trying to breathe and clear my mind enough so that it felt like a, a loosening. Uh, it felt like almost like uh, if you needed a big burp, right. you let it out, and then your stomach felt better. Maybe not tactically the same, but the same end result was that my, my diaphragm started getting those signals again because my stress level went down. And that was just almost sheer luck that, that I was able to put myself in a mindset of I'm going to die 
stop worrying just clear your mind you just gotta clear your mind so i'm thankful for yoga and meditation for that i think it did save my life wow so you were just kind of focusing on what shallow breathing and, and getting your breathing under control or what were you doing at that point? clarify i stopped trying to take a breath because that motion oh, didn't do anything i didn't it felt like i needed a muscle cramp to release so i just laid down in the water I had my light vest on and my skis were off. So I was able to just float there. And as the stars started forming in my eye, I, I realized that taking a breath and trying to take a breath wasn't just, it just was not working. Right. Yeah. So just yeah. a few moments of not trying uh, allowed my body to recover, get some blood flow going to my diet from whatever it is that's going on biologically. Uh, but then, you know, I went to the hospital like right after that and, uh, they said I was high stressed and all that. And then I had double vision again a few months later. Uh, this was August. I had double vision again in November. Uh, and that's when I, I just started talking to doctors, different doctors about admitting me. So, right. so you yeah, never really... Oh, go ahead. Don't, Sorry. It, it, well, that's what set me on the path to, to strictly neuro, neurology. Uh, just doing my own research. Go ahead, well, yeah, so that's what I was going to say was, you know, so you, in going to all these different doctors, you never had a doctor that suggested that it could have been MG. You you basically self-diagnosed yourself, at least in the beginning. So how did you kind of come across MG? What did you search for? Because your symptoms weren't, weren't continuous this whole time. So how did you put those symptoms together and, and how did you kind of come across MG as your own personal diagnosis. Yeah, I mean, it was a Lyme disease. It was just everything under the sun. But I kept going back to myasthenia, even though it was rare because everybody tried ticking off the rare stuff. And I, I, I just kept saying that this is the only thing now. And once, once I got onto Reddit and typed in myasthenia gravis in the search bar, and found that group, I, I my mind was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Uh, all I know. And then I actually, that day that I found the subreddit, I called the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, hoping that they would admit me because their admittance process is so stingy. Uh, but once I told the staff nurse what was going on, she said, hold on a moment, got back on the phone. And she said, doctors think you should come in here right away. You'd be an inpatient and you qualified for treatment at Mayo Clinic because everything was so tricky. Uh, and they have a myasthenia department that's proactive and, and they said, come on in. And then that next day, I drove myself to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota from Chicago. Wow. So when you got there, um, you told them all of your symptoms, I'm assuming. What was their process of diagnosing? You know, you know how long did it take them to recognize those symptoms? It took him five seconds, Jesse, and it didn't take, it didn't take any blood work. The doctor and his really? intern or resident who was training, he said, count to a hundred. And I started counting to a hundred and about 40 he said, stop. And then he talked to his resident. He said, see, he, he see what he's doing. He's slurring. And then he said, he put his hand on my head. He said, push. And then he said, see how he's arching his chin out. He can't do this. Is that hard for you, Sean? I said, yeah. He goes, this is my asthenia. I'm going to send you to get your single fiber EMG. I'm going to get all the blood work, but we're going to assume that you have myasthenia gravis. Are you familiar with what that is? I said, yes. I've been telling everyone for years. <laughs> yeah. So 
he reassured me quite quickly uh, and, and gave me Mestanon, which is a, uh, a drug that we all know, uh, which could have impacted my quality of life for years, immediately. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's a safe drug, uh, you know, it makes you a little gassy. But uh, other than that, it, it took care of all of my symptoms uh, pretty pretty quickly there. Wow. That's amazing that you got that diagnosis so quickly at the Mayo Clinic. I mean, it took you a while to get there, but no, that's awesome. And so now that you have your diagnosis, what types of treatments do they have you doing? Or what, you know, what treatments did you do after that? Well, I discussed with my neurologist at Northwestern, uh, who's my permanent one, and the Mayo right. Clinic. The Mayo Clinic wanted to get my thymus removed immediately. Uh, and I just didn't want to do that in the middle of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Right. So Northwestern is a big operation in Chicago, and my wife runs a restaurant right across the street. So it just seemed like a great idea to just go ahead and go to Northwestern. They scheduled me a couple weeks later, uh, did a CT scan of my heart to make sure that was all okay, and did a robotic thymectomy uh, within weeks, April 1st of 2020. 2021, sorry. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of brings up a good point in that your experience was, again, just a little bit different than mine. So, you know, because I had the thymoma, my doctors basically told me that the surgery was required. I mean, I, I guess I had the option of declining. I'm not sure why I, I would have, but, you know, they basically said this is what we have to do to get your symptoms under control. And obviously we have to remove the thymoma, but was yours more of an elective surgery and you know did they tell you there was a chance it would go into remission you know how did that conversation with your doctor go yeah well it's funny because i did have a thymoma oh, i did but it was okay. it was small ish but the funny part that a lot of people in the thymectomy world will laugh at in a bittersweet way or dark humor way is they get they said 40 percent chance nothing will happen 30% chance you have mild recovery and a 20% chance, uh, 40, 30, 30, uh, 30% chance that you'll have a complete recovery. So 40, 30, 30, uh, right. nothing a little better or a lot better. Uh, and they said that it will take up to a year for you right. to, to know. And at 51 weeks, I went into remission. <laughs> wow. It was what? Well, that because I was having, I was, I was dipping low. I was feeling really bad up until uh, January, February, March of 2022, because nothing had changed. I wasn't feeling better. I was slurring, couldn't eat soup still. Uh, it was ruining my whole life because I was going to bed at 7 p.m. I couldn't stay awake to do stuff. Me and my wife's relationship was not a relationship. You, you know, when, when you're uh, all of a sudden so disabled. And you can't right. speak. Uh, it, it's a very, I'll say, precarious because your whole world and worldview and the way people view you changes when you slur your words and you you can't move part of your face. And it's, it was just a scary place. And even so, sort of in retrospect, scarier was how quickly it changed. And I got better, well, quote unquote, better. Right. Uh, you, you don't trust it. Uh, you, you just wake up every day wondering if today's the day you're going to start slurring again. Yeah, and I think most people in this community can probably relate to that. When we have our good days and our bad days, that you almost don't trust it. 
you're kind of sitting there asking yourself, well, how much can I do today? And you almost don't want to push yourself even when you feel good because you're just kind of afraid of what could happen if you go too far, you know? Mm-hmm. But, well, let me say yeah. for the people that are struggling out there, something that helped me was, first of all, get masked on. Second, mm-hmm. I used a system of energy pennies. I had a hundred pennies for my day mm-hmm. and vacuuming would eat up 10 of those pennies. Dishes would eat up five of those pennies. A mile walk would eat up 25 of those pennies. So an easy, simple math that you could do every day is say, I got a hundred pennies today. Hmm. How many am I going to use before 2 p.m. before, you know, your spouse gets off work? You know, if you have dinner later, you want to save some pennies for that. Yeah. That helped me a lot. Yeah. I mean, I love that example. It's actually a lot how I tend to try to explain it. I, I do it in terms of like a battery and like percentage. So, you know, if you use 20% of your of your phone battery or something before noon, that kind of thing. But, you know, I like your example because it does perfectly describe how MG feels like you only get so many pennies throughout the day before your body basically calls it quits, you know? That's, and so then your days yeah. are different. So if you did a vacuum and it took up, you think it took 30 pennies instead of 10, mm-hmm. count it as 30. Uh, if your mile walk was extra hard, you know, and, and then it, it, it's a very analog and simple thing you could keep visualization of in your head to get right through the day. No, that, I mean, that's an awesome tip. I, I actually really enjoy that. I'm probably going to use that moving forward. It's a little bit easier to understand and it, it makes a lot more sense in terms of how MG works. So I appreciate you sharing that with me and obviously with everybody listening. So hopefully that helps you. So, you know, we'll wrap up here in just a second, but I do want to talk about, since you shared a lot of your struggle and your story, you also said, though, that you think that back in March, you feel like you've gone into remission. Um, And now we're, what, June, so about three months or so. So how are you feeling now? Like, what is your day-to-day look like now that things have started to improve for you? Yeah. Now it's a matter of building. Uh, I was it. I lost about four pounds of muscle, uh, which is a lot yeah. over the course of two years. And I'm building my glutes and my hamstrings and my my delts. Everything you know, lifting all plates up into the cabinet was hard. So just all those muscles. So right now, to answer your question succinctly, is I'm in a daily mode of building. And, and I get a little bit of extra fatigue. I don't get the bounce back. And that's MG telling me, slow down. You can't get it all back in a day. But that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm, after three months, I would say I'm much more confident that my, my slurs in the past, but my in, absolute inability to stay awake uh, past seven is in the past. That I could go and get some, some ramen if I'd like. You know, one of the hardest things to do when you're having right. a tough time and the swallowing and dysphagia. Uh, so it's it's a very positive, but humbling outlook that I have every day. And when I go to the gym or get on my bike, I'm, I'm just freaking grateful. Great. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing, you know, to actually have that relief after so long is so cool. So what sort of treatment do they have you on right now? Now that you don't have as many symptoms, what are they having you do moving forward? 
Well, the mescaline is in there, and I haven't taken it in about a month. But until up until a month ago, I was taking it daily just to have it in my system because I was pretty scared about about that feeling. You know, when you can't talk, you, you don't ever want that tongue feeling to come back, that throat feeling. Uh, but I haven't taken mescaline or anything in one month. And uh, I don't plan on doing Solaris or or anything else. Uh, I don't feel the need to add anything except breathing techniques, more yoga, more working out, more outside time, good old vitamin D, uh, and just family time, man. Just yeah. When you can't talk, you don't want to be around people because they ask you questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been trying to explain that to people for months now. You know, it's just kind of hard for them to understand that talking and, and doing all that is, is hard for us. It, it really even just wears on us having those types of conversations. It's kind of almost isolating, right? It's almost depressing in the sense that that you have to kind of shelter yourself from your family and that just because it's hard to talk to them, you know? Don't forget weekly therapy. I go to therapy every week and I work it out and I work it out even if I don't want to because I got you got to yep. build your brain back up. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I, I completely agree. I actually just started doing that myself, not, uh, I think, last week. Um, it's funny because the therapists, they, they don't really know how to, to handle you just because, you know, you have such a unique condition, but they do their best. And it, it is helpful, I think, just to have that person to talk to can really make a difference just to kind of help you learn different coping skills and mechanisms and everything. So I, I completely agree with you there. Well, Sean, it, do you have anything you'd like to add on before we wrap up here maybe some advice or tips or you know words of hope or anything like that before we go well there is a lot of hope i i was in a very dark place eight months after my thymectomy which was a very brutal experience but to have my to have somebody that hasn't seen me in a year see me now and listen to me now and know that I can answer their questions without slurring or needing a notebook or texting them. Uh, there, there's more than hope. There's doctors that do know, maybe not as much as we'd like, but there's people out there that know. So you have to be your biggest advocate. And not only that, you're probably your only advocate because as much as someone would like to try to help, they cannot imagine therefore they can't empathize with what we're going through. So use the Reddit sounding board, use the DMs, ask me anything always, uh, and know that this thymectomy works. If it's not thymectomy, the Plex treatments or the IVIG, there, there's stuff out there, but it's going to take a lot of work, but it's not degenerative. Your brain will tell you that it's degenerative no matter yeah. what the, what the science says. So, the, the, so reach out and keep reaching out and keep advocating and you're going to get there. That's all I'm going to yeah, awesome. Well, you know, Sean, so I know in the last couple episodes, I discussed the Facebook group that I use, and that has been a really good resource to me. But I know that uh, you really love the Reddit group. So I'm also going to include the link down below to the Reddit page in case people are more comfortable using Reddit. And of course, Sean, if you'd like, I can put your username or, you know, contact info down below, uh, just in case anybody might want to you know, reach out to you directly if, if you'd like. 
Yeah, that is lovely. My name is Sean Rock on Reddit. S-E-A-N-R-O-K. Sean Rock. I've been on for 10 years and I'm a moderator on that sub. And it's been the single greatest advantage over this disease that I've had. Yeah, absolutely. I think being able to communicate with each other in the community is the best way to learn about this disease as well. So, uh, of course, you know, I'm going to put those resources down below in the description of this episode for anybody who might be interested. So, Sean, I just want to say a huge thank you for taking the time out of your day to share your story. And obviously, this is the first interview we've done on this podcast. So, you know, thank you for being kind of my uh, my guinea pig here. We're all guinea pigs. Oh, all of us in the of gravity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Sean. I, again, genuinely appreciate it. I think your story is an amazing one for people to hear, especially because, you know, you did struggle with that diagnosis. I think that's pretty common around here so for people to hear how you did it i think is huge so thank you again i'm so happy that we were able to get this uh, recorded and uh thank you so much my again. pleasure jesse for... my pleasure and thank you for doing it absolutely bye jesse have a great day okay you too thanks cheers Well, I hope you all really enjoyed that interview. I know for me, it almost reiterated just how important this podcast is going to be for not only myself, but hopefully for all of you. It just kind of shows me that hearing what somebody else had to go through with this disease just really highlights the fact that we are all going through the same thing, but experiencing it extremely differently. You know, Sean didn't have very many symptoms continuously, but when his symptoms popped up, they were extreme. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. I know my symptoms have been pretty much continuous, but not quite as extreme. I think as we go and do more and more of these interviews, we're going to start to see this picture of how every single one of us is so different. But we're going to see these common threads between us all that we can hopefully use to to bond with each other and, and say, I know what you feel is different, but I know what you're going through. So I really hope that you're enjoying this podcast so far and can now kind of see the, the vision that I'm going for with this. But yeah, I really appreciate you guys listening and all the support. It has been so heartwarming to hear the stories of people listening to it during their, you know, IVIG treatments or sitting in the emergency room or something. They really make me feel not good that you're in the emergency room, but, but that it's helping you get through that experience. Um, I know how important that is for me. So yeah, thank you all for reaching out and continue to do so. I love hearing those types of, of comments. So we will see you again next Tuesday. Don't forget about your challenge. Um, try to talk to one person a day about MG. And again, we'll check in with you in a week. So have a great week. Everybody stay safe out there. And thank you all for listening.